going on, my friends, entrepreneurs, small business owners, Leo Canel here with today's Seven Figures Club podcast. And today, boys and girls, friends, entrepreneurs across the country, we've got a great guest. We have Spencer Hillegas with us. And Spencer, by the way, is the CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing. It's a real estate investment firm specializing in real estate syndications. He's a passive investor and an active syndicator. He understands the unique challenges that busy professionals face, like all of us as business owners, when starting out on their real estate investing journey. His mission is to arm investors with the know-how they need to make confident investment decisions tailored to their individual life goals. We're gonna talk a little bit about how you make decisions in this kind of environment with high inflation and a looming recession. Now, prior to going into real estate, Spencer uh, was an executive in the fintech industry with positions at Intuit and, and Gusto. Uh, 13 years, in fact, uh, building high performance teams across five companies, uh, three of which were valued at over $1 billion as unicorn businesses. Throughout his career, one thing has remained consistent, his ability to keenly focus on professional development, helping teams and individuals to reach their full potential. He's also a member of the 2021 Forbes Real Estate Council and has been featured in publications such as Business Insider. When he's not shifting the way people think about investing, you can find him listening to metal, adding to his tattoo collection and jogging through the beautiful Bay Area with his wife and two sons. And we'll definitely want to ask him about the time he played on stage in San Francisco at the Vans Warped Tour. Well, Spencer, welcome to the podcast. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Yeah, Leo, really great to connect on here and you know share some stories and you know, scars and learnings with, the, with your group. So really excited to start the day with you. No question. Well, our, our audience, Spencer, is entrepreneurs, small business owners, side hustlers. And certainly in life, there's two focuses. If you're playing the money game, number one, you're, you're trying to increase your income. You're trying to have multiple streams, maybe, or one stream that's just you know ever increasing and building and hopefully some passive income streams in there. And then on the other side, you're trying to grow that wealth and, and that extra money and that capital and make it work for you. Let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of your background and upbringing. What were some of the key events that you know initially led you to a path of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I appreciate the tee up on that. I think that the context for all of us as people, as humans and investors and entrepreneurs is so critical. And mine was kind of interesting, I think, um, from what people tell me. I used to think it was boring. And frankly, I was kind of embarrassed to say, I grew up in a real estate household. Dad was a broker for 30 years, Leo. Um, I was forced to work open houses and you know yeah. go, go go for tasks. Where, uh, where was this at? This was in the Bay Area, California. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I guess I technically was in real estate at the age of six. Not like that matters nice. at that point. But um, you know, that's not the cool thing to tell your friends is that you work for real estate when you live in Silicon Valley. And going and saying, well, I'm going to run screaming from real estate into tech. Uh, you know, th th that ended up being a really exciting, challenging, dynamic career for 13 years 
in topics that I originally found quite boring. And I think most people do. I think entrepreneurs think maybe finance and wealth building and wealth preservation and all these things are interesting now, but my goodness, I, I certainly did not. And so flash forward 13 years into that career, you know, all these different, you know, into it, zero gusto, all these co companies solve financial problems for small businesses and leadership and growth and hiring became a real passion point of mine and just helping other people actually grow. So as a dude that grew up listening to metal bands and being pretty contrarian and not liking authority, I, I really found that to be an ironic path for myself. But the key thing I was going to share, Leo, uh, that informs very much my worldview today, uh, as well as our own family wealth building plan and how we help hundreds of our investors now at Madison Investing, is that my family and my dad's business went through this kind of call it like a dark decade. Um, and yeah. I was watching him fly to these incredible heights. I mean, he was he ended up getting to about, you know, top, top three uh, brokers in the nineties. You know, our lifestyle was very comfortable when I was younger wow. until lost a younger brother to childhood cancer, you know, oh, triggered gosh. a series of, of really tough events for our whole family. And that's just how the dominoes unfortunately kind of fall for a lot of folks in the world, you know, and, 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 that watched his business downsize and our lifestyles of family significantly downsize. And I, the learning I took away from that folks might be able to read in, you know, rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki or a number of other books that talk about this notion of active income in the buckets, like one broker's active income, much like a salary at a company. The moment someone stops getting, putting that work in, trading their time for money, the income stops flowing. And, mm -hmm. I at least was aware enough to kind of see that, that I didn't understand it at the time as a guy who has two young kids myself. Now i got an eight year old and four year old boys married, you know, the whole, the whole thing. I look back now and I'm like, that was a really profound impact on me watching that happen and going that one source of income for that household, despite having a pretty lavish lifestyle leading up to it. It meant very little when that active income was gone. And so now it's my job as like the steward of our household is along with Jennifer, who's my COO and my spouse, which is like a totally separate podcast, probably altogether. Um, you know, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. It doesn't work for everybody. It, it, it works for us. Um, you guys are special but, people. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. Yeah, happy to go there if and when, um, but I think that dark decade was very formative to me. So I wanted to share that now because I think it took me that long in 13 years to really get it about, man, there's other ways. There, there's other ways to generate income. And we had very two very parallel, comfortable careers that were making great income very in, in our dual income household for this pricey Bay Area market in California that we have to you know, sustain and grow our family. So now I try to help other people kind of get that light bulb moment much earlier in their professional careers. So then in your career, I mean, society has kind of this scripted version of life, right? You know, go to college, get that college degree. For a lot of people, that means going to get some student loan debt to be able to pay for it and then uh, get out of college, find that uh, great job. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you have a traditional retirement account that you're building and putting some money into and you're being smart with your, your money and you're living within your means. What is it about that scripted, you know, traditional, conventional life that's laid out to us by society, by the media that doesn't lead to the, the freedom and, and the lifestyle and the financial success and, and the security that we're all looking for, in your opinion? You're going to get me going off on a big one here. Um, I love Good. That. That's where we want to go. Yeah. 
I, I remember, and, and you, you could probably relate to this, Leo. Um, and we chatted about this very briefly before we hit record today, but I was so proud of maxing out my 401ks, you know, for years. And I, I was just like, Hey, Jennifer, we did it again. Look, we hit our, our maximum contribution and just watching that number grow and thinking, wow, we're winning, you know, we're winning. And by the time that we retire 30 plus years from now, hopefully assuming, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, good health, all those things, uh, we're, we're, we're doing it right. And ultimately I look at that now and I think, well, why do I feel like, what are the assumptions baked into that? And why do I have these assumptions? Well, number one assumption that I think is very fascinating, which I have finally, finally purged, I think, from my psyche and my, my, my education is that I have all these, these custodians, these 401k custodians, these IRA providers, they want us to think that by the time we retire, we're going to pay less in taxes. <laughs> um, I find that fascinating now. And, and I find that fascinating because it assumes that we're going to be poor. And that, you know, by the time we retire, fascinating. I, I sure hope that I'm not, and I don't plan to, and, and that's not part of our plan now. And so anyone who wants to take a number of other of those really interesting assumptions and ask yourselves, why do I assume that when I dump money, a significant chunk of my usable cash income from my day job that I'm very proud of, I'm dumping that into something I can't touch for decades, despite having two young kids that I'm going to have to pay for school, pay for life, maybe have some fun along the way, buy a car that I eventually wanted well, to buy. I hope so, right? All those things. I want to use that money now. And it's not about, oh, I can't have delayed gratification or I lack the patience. It's about questioning this vehicle and asking yourselves, is this the best possible way to put that dollar in? So that the day that I turned off my 401k, was terrifying, Leo. And, and, and I think that that is, uh, marketing is really effective. And I think that financial marketing is often misinterpreted as a source of financial advisory. Um, so that is uh, one area where I don't want to get too critical of the broader market. There's wonderful financial advisors out there. There's effective 401ks. We still are like right now, even we're setting up a new type of retirement account, but you better believe that doesn't replace the cash flowing investments that we are constantly investing in many times a year ourselves as limited partners, LPs and syndications into other types of rental investments and these other alternative investments that allow us to live a life of flexibility. And I literally just got back from a week in Legoland with our two young kids and then going to, you know, surprise trip from, to Las Vegas with my wife, which we haven't gone on ever, you know? And so that type of flexibility only happens when you step away from the mainstream thinking a little bit, but that was probably more than you wanted on that question. <laughs> no, no, I think that's absolutely important for people to understand that the, tra the traditional conventional path that is laid before us by society, by parents who, who cared and, and, and loved us and by teachers and those, you know, that we look up to, it, it, there are assumptions baked in there that don't make sense. For example, and, uh, and I know you're, you're a licensed uh, professional, and so that we got to wade carefully when we talk about uh, rates, but I'm not. And so for me, as I look at, uh, you know, what does a 401k or a typical IRA or a mutual fund average in types of the, the, the returns I can expect? Well, after fees, I mean, it might be somewhere from 5 to 7%, which unfortunately in today's world doesn't actually keep up with inflation. Right, it's uh, it's maybe five to seven percent, and that was probably before the current market crash that we're going into right now in this bear market. 
S&P and Dow are down well over 20%. So if that's what I can expect to make, well, there's this rule of 72 that Einstein talks about, right? And so if I'm making 6% a year with my uh, you know, retirement account, I divide that by 72. It's taking me 12 years to double that money. That's a very slow growth model. And if you start looking at a lot of different real estate uh, investment models, the uh, returns can be so much more than that. And, and why is it so? So, for example, in, in your case, you said, all right, I'm turning off the 401k and I'm going to maybe you talk a little bit about playing offense and defense. Unpack mm-hmm. that for us. What are the, the factors that people should be thinking about in offense and defense and maybe going against? I mean, if everybody else is doing it, you're going to be getting very average results. Going against the grain is usually where the, the uh, exceptional results are found. What, what, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, the inflation conversation alone as to why it's so critical now more than ever for folks to stop the notion to, to, to purge themselves of this idea that saving alone and saving in, you know, as a savings account is going to somehow get them the result that they want, because quite literally inflation is, is destroying the value of those dollars if it's not keeping up. And so it matters to me personally, you know, that I'm like people, like, I hope people are listening to this. So offense and defense, um, Jennifer and I, we wrestled with this mightily. You know, I'm sitting here back in, you know, maybe 2015, 2014, and I was deep into my tech career. I was hustling 80 to 100 hours a week in office in a wow. startup that I was, you know, I hadn't seen my infant son for two weeks. And I, and this is one of those formative moments where I look back and I think that was a spark. You know, that was the first fuse lit by a spark and saying, this ain't sustainable. And by the way, like, how can we go get active and play offense? And like the idea of playing offense really originated from that period of time because I felt like we were constantly just having to, to be on defense. Like it was never taking the reins and doing something about it besides simply maybe I'll follow the Silicon Valley playbook, join an early stage startup, and maybe they'll have an Uber or a Google or a, you know a Facebook style exit to absolve all my, my financial sins along the way. That's not how it works for the vast majority of people. And it's not how it works for us. We have some equity in one of those guys. And so maybe that'll materialize. But I bring that up because offense now to us means it's not just about budgeting, you know, because I think a lot of folks kind of, and we, we kind of got spun up for years in that whole notion of go set your family budget, you know, set yeah. Dave, Dave Ramsey, right? You know, eliminate all, all right. that bad debt, cut up your credit cards and life and, you know, try to try not to buy that expensive cup of coffee. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Okay. So, and, and stepping back and asking ourselves, did we really think that giving up coffee, which I adore so much <laughs> is going to somehow change our lives formatively in years to come. So if that's your game out there, please, by all means, more power to you for giving up coffee. I ain't giving up my coffee anytime soon. I need that stuff. Um, but offense means taking a look at, okay, Sure, there's a frugality comment in there on the defense front. Did we drive used cars for years? And do we still believe in buying them a luxury used car? Absolutely, all day. Maybe not now because the inflation is crushing that, that particular type of thing so much. But we drove the same cars, lived in our same first home for a decade, not, not driving up our lifestyle, which is really the whole defense comment in addition to finding better, more tax-efficient ways of making money because W-2 incomes and bonused W-2 incomes, which I dealt with for a long time as an operations and sales leader, that is 
literally just building income streams, giving away almost half of that income. So how do you, how do we go find out ways to keep more of that as it would come in? And that, that's kind of the very whiz bang version of the defense comment, Leo, I think on the offense, going out there, taking personal ownership of the fact, I know none of us were financially educated the right way. If it was from, if it was from the school system and I'm never going to assume that for my kids, you know, that, that is the lesson now is that that's on us to educate our kids. I don't blame the school system for not doing it. It's our job. It's my job to educate my kids because I know I, I wasn't either. Right. So offense wise, asking myself to exactly your point, like so well stated a moment ago, Leo, like how do we go find those other things that number one can beat inflation because we have to, but like either we do that or all this money that we worked so hard to earn from active doing a day job, consulting, any type of, you know, helping folks get in, get invested into deals that in our investing group at Madison, like all these things, that's, that's great, but you still have to find a way to grow your money actively and constantly and keeping your money in motion. And, and that's really what it's all about. And so how many income streams meaning monthly deposited checks literally coming into our direct deposit every month. And sometimes there's a physical check because people like that idea of physical mailbox money, but that's what I call now offense is like grabbing the reins, putting some education behind, you know, some teeth behind that. I literally listen to, I don't recommend this for people. This is how nerdy I got. I listened to 400 podcasts and read 24 books in the 18 months leading up to me leaving my day job after building our company nights and weekends in uh, October, 2019. And yeah, I didn't need to do that. I, I don't think anyone needs to go that hardcore or weird, frankly. Um, I think even if you pick up one or two books, you educate yourself, you just find a way to get curious. And that's really what it's about is just finding a way to get interested in this stuff and assume, you know, just because a whole category such as alternative investments is inherently triggered for all of us as like a riskier thing. I would challenge anyone out there hearing this, if you're not familiar with alternative investments, meaning like the real estate stuff or precious metals or whatever, like go and just get curious and assume nothing, you know, go in and just have an open mind and and talk to folks and network and get more interested in that because you have to find your own playbook and no one's going to build it for you. And financial advisors, there are very, very good ones, but make sure you always ask them that important question of, if you're curious about real estate, you know, ask them how much they own. It's so true. Like if we're going to follow a financial advisor, well, how successful is this financial advisor, right? How are they doing in today's current market? And I think that's kind of the next question where we should go here is, you know, the crypto, cryptocurrencies are, are down significantly. The stock market is down for the last decade, the top stocks that were always talked about were the so-called FANG stocks, right? You had Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, those five. Everybody wanted to be the you know part of those five companies. And then over the last year, Netflix is down 70%. You know, Facebook and, and Amazon, I think, are both down 30 plus percent. And uh, even Apple, I think, is is down 20%. Google's down 30%. So all of these uh, companies are down significantly. As much as I love Elon Musk and and driving my Tesla, Tesla's down (laughs) significantly, right? And so that's, that's reality. So in today's market, 
what what is the what are some of the best investments that people should be looking at that number one can deal with inflation and number two can deal with you know looks like a, a recession. Yeah, you know, I'll speak to personally what I view as what we're building our own portfolio with because that I can talk to all day. And I mentioned I've registered, so I believe in this notion of hard assets. I mean, that that's another way of simply saying things such as real estate. And why do I believe in that? Well, the demand is there for a couple specific ones that I love and, and I've gotten behind the bigger th- investment thesis about it. Here's the characteristics though that I look for on these. Looking for something that generates cash flow. You know, an equities or stock investor would call that oftentimes a dividend. But in a real estate context, that's means- are like what are the what is the top percentage dividend, right? If I have a hundred thousand dollars of a stock. I mean, what, what do you think is the best dividend payout, you know, that I can expect? I, I, in my experience, I was what, one, two, three percent. I mean, those dividends are pretty small. You said it. And, and that is one area where, you know, not trying to be cagey, but I probably can't get into those ones. Um, yeah. just because the registration stuff. I will just say it's a heck of a lot better than any dividend to pay out that I ever received personally on any stock. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has to be material and potentially able to, when done enough, actually build out a plan. Like we use this as part of our own plan. When I was going to quit my day job in my W2 leadership job in 2019, we had been investing as LP investors or limited partners in these private real estate deals. And we had also been doing some other stuff that I had started working on actively to become a real estate investor actively. So that stuff you can layer. And there's this whole strategy behind it that I subscribe to um, call it a snowball strategy. You know, I don't know if that's an official term for it, but you're basically laddering and you can stack income on income on income on income. And over time, that becomes a very substantial number where you're able to like, we're able to cover the majority of our mortgage costs. We covered our entire mortgage costs at our previous house. Now we're able to cover our life expenses with a lot of this stuff. And so that's the type of characteristics I'm looking for. Number one is, can this investment cash flow? And cash flow means it's paying you money. It's not just sitting there for, you're not investing for capital gain and appreciation. The second characteristic I would just say is you're looking for something that is tax efficient. And that sounds super dry and jargony for most people where they glaze over. And I certainly did too when I heard that. And that means, are there built-in ways that this thing is going to help not, not incur a bigger tax bill on itself when I make that investment? Paying long-term capital gains versus short-term capital gains is a beautiful thing, of course. There's stuff that's even more effective than that that's out there. And um, I would encourage folks to kind of go and and study up on that because they'll find real estate is one of those. I mean, we own a rental. It's not even necessarily what I'm talking about here. Rentals are great. Um, You know, we used to have six. We've gone down to one. Now now we're invested in, in Madison Investing. We've done 36 active transactions there, and we've invested beyond that personally. Um, in a bunch of LP uh, investments, like in apartment buildings and self-storage facilities. And that sounds super weird to people, but why do we like that in this environment, in this economy? Back to your question, Leo. I mean, look at the way the the broader interest rate story is happening, right? The Fed is doing- Oh my goodness. It's what they feel they have to do. And, and that is- driving an increase in rates, not just for mortgages, because I used to think like, like many people out there, Fed increases rate, mortgage rate goes up because they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. Um, they're, they're different. But what does that mean? 
it was already hard for single family home buyers to buy a, buy a home. Now rates are going up. Demand is not going that far down. It's going down a little bit, but it's not going that far down. And pricing on single family homes going up, that's going to generate even more and sustain demand for more renters. And these renters have to go somewhere. And there's People market- need a place to live. Better believe it. And yep. I mean, I look, look at certain markets, including places such as your, your state in Utah, you know, we look at places like uh, Dallas, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Raleigh, North Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. I can go on and on about these different markets that we love. I'm Colorado Springs, Phoenix, Arizona. These are all places where the demand for places to live if for renters is so strong and expected to keep going so strong. That's where we're parking our capital now is in places and deal structures that allow our confidence level to be so high and the risk profile of an investment to drop in a six figure number, for example, of our own capital to feel so much more like sleeping better at night. Imagine sleeping better at night as I do doing that than dropping that same amount of money into an index fund, which is what we would have done previously. And this isn't a comment, by the way, on, you know, you know, don't go do the stock market ever. That's actually not the comment at all, because I believe in diversification. And I think it's kind of uh, awful advice for folks to just completely leave behind diversification as a concept. Um, But that's where we put our own money. And because it has to be able to beat inflation. And if it doesn't, then what the heck are we doing here? (laughs) Exactly right. So in this inflationary market, what happens with those affordable housing, you know, apartment units and storage units that you have, um, you know, in inflation, what happens with those? In you know, it's interesting. Value? Yeah, I mean, even as recently as this morning, um, there was a sort of wonderful chart and, and piece of data that we saw in a report which showed what happens in historical in, increasing inflation environments in the United States. And it, it showed on top of that, the rents, the average rents and how the rents track against inflation. And it showed that in an environment of of rising rates, inflationary environments, that the rents were tracking very much as strong. And right now it's actually arguably significantly stronger. And uh, that's the story that I back. You know, that guys, everyone listening, that means rental rates in apartments with affordable housing are going up higher than the rate of inflation. That's what we're seeing uh, th- there's a reason why he's saying areas like Dallas and others. I, I also um, just put in, in some uh, apartment buildings uh, in-, in Dallas. There are just significant opportunities with inflation where these rents are going up. So you're making monthly income there. Plus these investments, there's, you know, they're very valuable. And when the rents of these properties go up, guess what happens to the value of the property? It goes up. So yeah. you're winning on appreciation. The value is going up. You're winning on income. And then as Spencer also indicated, you're getting this massive tax benefit that you only get with these types of uh, investments that you just don't get anywhere else. And oh, by the way, that uh, you know, you probably have a, a loan on the uh, real estate. That balance is being paid down by your tenants. So you're literally winning four different ways. And when you own that stock, most of the time you're winning one way. And that one way right now is not winning for most stocks. So that's oh my that's gosh. kind of what I'm seeing. Oh, warms my heart. Like you just nailed it. <laughs> I, I think um, just to add to that as well, I think if someone is wondering out there like, well, okay, I mean, that all sounds great. 
But I also heard that, you know, when there's a downturn and there's volatility, you know, or a crash, like look at 2008. And that is a I very, it was painful. It was painful. I mean, for everybody. And, and I think uh, it's, a, it's the right logical conclusion for someone to ask that question, right? Okay. It's been amazing the past decade. Like the, this, the growth is incredible, but what goes up must come down to a degree. We don't know how far and we don't know how long, but it's a different economic recession moment. And that's what all the people way smarter than me will always conclude on if they're an economist or a finance expert. I'm not going to attempt to try to speak on their behalf besides just say that the key lesson there is that every single downturn is different. What drives no it? Question. What triggers it? The 2008 was a crisis of really two key things. And I'm always open to be uh, corrected on these, of course, but I believe it to be a residential debt and lending crisis because lending standards were far too lax. And it was because Wall Street packaging of all those securities was incredibly uh, greedy um, and it all collapsed. This, this recession, many different factors involved. And, and you know, frankly, I think that folks stepping back and trying to look at those big picture time scales will find themselves in a much better headspace for trying to make great decisions right now because you got to get away from staring at that screen. You got to turn off the news. I would recommend. I don't oh, really. Hundred percent. I don't watch it. I don't stare at my daily portfolio. I haven't lost. Uh, I haven't batted an eye on any of this downturn stuff because we invested in these hard assets such as apartment buildings, and that's awesome to hear. For example, that you were recently getting into one in like Dallas, uh, in Texas, Leo. I mean, that was that's been. If you had to pick a market that we focused on most heavily, that would be it historically, uh, because. Wow jobs are there, yep. growth, population growth is there, and all of these wonderful you know, packaged together benefits are, are cumulatively just kind of a, when you look at all these, you sit there and you go like, well, what's the catch? And I'm like, is there risk involved in doing that type of stuff? Of course. Always. You know, always. There's always, I mean, leaving your front doorstep, there's risk. Um, so it, it really comes down to getting a comfort level and, a, and pushing outside one's comfort zone to go take a look at these other ways of growing your wealth, you know, and, and, and putting your money to work. Like assume I, there was a mentor that, that told me about uh, this was years ago. He was like, assume that your money is an employee for your own family company. And that if you're not putting it to work and you're not managing that effectively, then, then you're mismanaging your own resources, you know? And, and I was like, wow. Okay. That is really profound. It was for me at the time and it still is for me now. It's my job to make sure that this stuff that I'm trading my time for, that I'm working for by the time it lands in my account and now I have to do something with it. If it just sits there, I'm literally not utilizing uh, the capital that I've worked so hard to go and, and generate. And so- So true. You know, what's interesting, Spencer, I think that you're right. A lot of people are thinking, oh no, this is going to be like 08 and 09. And you made the case that there's a lot of different factors and uh, at the at the top, I, I heard a, a real estate expert explaining, listen, back in 08 and 09, the, it's simple supply and demand. There was a lot of supply. There was way more supply and building happening than people to take over those units. But in the last 12 years since that recession, um, I saw an article that Realtor.com said we are still 5 million housing units short to have enough you know, housing for people to live in. And so recession, inflation, whatever, 
over the next decade, we're still playing catch up. And that means people need housing. And now, and now we've got interest rates that went from 3% to 5.5% in just the last few months. So now the idea of buying that, that really nice home has kind of gone out the window. So it's affordable housing. It's yeah. starter homes. Like those are the two areas that there's a shortage. And regardless of what happens, Demand is going to drive that, and those are the opportunities. And so let's get right to it. How can people work with Madison Investing? Because we're all busy. Like you said, we've got businesses, we've got jobs, we've got families, I've got five kids. We want to be able to make passive income. We want to be able to take advantage of these opportunities, but we probably don't have enough time and and, uh, so forth to be able to make that happen. And there's so much that we don't know, but you guys do. And you're killing it with all these different, uh, you know, units that you guys are building. How can people get involved and, you know, learn more about Madison Investing and how does it work with you guys? Yeah. No, thank you for that, Leo. You know, so we have a website, madisoninvesting.com. Um, it's, we operate on like a club or a group model and it's very simple. If anyone wants to go to our website and book a time uh, with me, we've deliberately kept our business in a kind of a boutique approach where, I onboard literally 100% of the members. And if, if we decide to have them join, um, it's a no cost thing, but I would say that I just expect that they are a reasonable and enjoyable human being to interact with, with mutual respect. Um, and th- you know, that, that's all I do uh, request. If people want to reach out, we do ask that they are accredited investors. Um, if uh, there's no certificate, people need to go and get ahead of time. If they're not familiar with that, feel free to just set up a time and I'm happy to talk to them. And, but the way it works is, and this is so simple, like I went out there when I was still working a day job and I could not, I, I was overwhelmed by how many of these types of deals I, I saw out there. I was like, how do I know who to trust? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to go give a five or six digit number to a stranger in another state. And I'm in California, these hundreds or thousands of miles away. How the heck am I going to get comfortable with this? I don't have any time. And that this all started very organically because we were just investing for our own wealth. And now this is literally baked into our business model. We go invest our own money personally. If it works out well with that team, with that asset manager, who's finding these real estate deals and doing that work, then they've been vetted and we put them through a vetting process, like a five-part vetting process. And then we decide, okay, we'll start vetting their deals. And if, if we find a deal that works, we'll share about half a dozen of those a year. Um, and folks can, can review them, choose to participate in them if they want to. And if not, that's as, absolutely fine as well. So it, it's really, really simple. So it's primarily apartments and uh, self, uh, self-storage deals and a couple of weird things in there too, which I don't want to uh, freak people out with, but you know, it's like ATMs and uh, crypto. That, I'm, I'm seeing that here. So guys, if you go to madisoninvesting.com and click on the portfolio button, you're going to see 380 apartment units in Dallas. 228 in Raleigh, North Carolina. Boise, Idaho has actually been the top appreciating market uh, and number one demand per capita in the country in the last year. You got Houston, Texas, um, Colorado Springs, another huge apartment complex, 436 uh, units in Dallas. And so just amazing opportunities. And you actually, I like the way you do it. And, and guys, here's, here's another key to success. Uh, back in the day, you could act like a crazy person and, you know, waste everybody's time and call in and and uh, invest successful investment groups like Madison Investing. They don't have to put up with that anymore. They want to work with good people 
who are reasonable, who, you know, treat others well. And if you're not a good fit, then you're not going to be in that group, which is good for everybody. And so this is an amazing opportunity for you to get involved in passive income opportunities here with Madison Investing. Tell us if you would just uh, whatever you can say, how does this ATM fund work? That is fascinating. (laughs) I, as a guy who worked in fintech for 13 years, literally building and growing teams that would bring these products to market, these digital products that would intended to replace cash use. (laughs) I will say it took like a two year period for me to get comfortable with this asset class. Um, but uh, you know, this one is actually a 506 C. So it's, it's, so that just means the type of deal that I can at least talk about a little bit more openly. Um, you know, basically the average net worth of a person who's using the, these specific types of ATMs, it's a fund with real automated teller machines, just what we all have used before. Uh, most of these are in the Northeast. Uh, and so each fund has about 2,500 to 3,000 of them. And, uh, you know, you're effectively investing in that. And uh, I have, we're about to actually personally invest the, the six figure number into it again, into a new one, uh, because there's killer depreciation losses. So it's really tax efficient for, uh, for those purposes, but also it just has really outstanding uh, cash flow distributions. And so super yeah. duper weird, but uh, the average user of those machines is also has a net worth of $600. So this is not something that a person walking around paying most of their bills with their watch um, is, is going to be able to relate to. Oh, but I love that dude. When I'm going on my jog and I need a you know a good protein smoothie, I don't have a wallet. Oh, I got my watch. Apple yeah. Day. I mean, I, I literally did that the other day. I was like, oh no, I forgot my watch. I forgot my my uh, wallet. And and I was like, oh, here we go. Click. So, you know, it's it's a surreal thing to invest in such a strange asset class, particularly in a modern world where everyone thinks, wait, our ATM's gonna go away. I'd be like, well, no, there's it? always this need for cash. Always need for cash. And particularly, I would say even more so during downturns. Oh, no question. No question. A lot of people actually start conserving more cash, oddly enough, during a downturn for different reasons. But and and those ATM fees are usually, you know, I mean, it's three, five percent per transaction. I mean, that's that's some dang good uh, returns right there. And it can happen multiple times in a day. I mean, just a really great opportunity. And and, uh, one of those one of those invisible passive income opportunities that when you actually start looking for this stuff, you'll find it. But again, you may not have all the time in the world to do that. And that's what Madison Investing can do for you guys. So make sure you go to Madison Investing. Again, this podcast is about not being a passive learner, but being an active implementer of these strategies. We bring massive successful people here on these podcasts to deliver massive value. And obviously, Spencer has done that today for you guys. So now your turn is up. It's time for you to take the next step. Go to madisoninvesting.com. I'm actually going to be doing it uh, myself and learning more about uh, the partnership opportunities to grow your money. Well, Spencer, the last word is yours. What is something that uh, everybody can start doing today to take action towards creating passive income and, as you said, playing offense? Yeah. And thank you so much. It's just a wonderful conversation today, Leo, and just really, really appreciate the leadership and thought process for helping people get there. Um, you know, for the one exercise I would ask people to do, you know, I never found the traditional 401k style, go build your pie chart for how you want your portfolio to be built. I would challenge folks to sit down. If it's they're single, it's going to be a quick discussion. If they are with someone with a partner, 
have a discussion and don't leave this thread until you know what is the monthly number that we want to hit of income to live our lives, cover our bills and be able to thrive in whatever that happens to mean for you. And then decide what that number is and let that be your guiding light as you go out and play offense and you want to invest toward your future. And it will be a really helpful True North Compass as a first step. I love that, guys. You want to get your money right, take some time and focus in on it. Decide what is that amount that you want to not just cover your bills, but to, to live a great lifestyle, to be able to travel, to be able to do awesome things with your family, with your children, with your grandchildren. And it starts by being very purposeful and deliberate and intentional in how you map that out. And Spencer just gave some great advice on how to make that happen. Spencer, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. And guys, again, it's madisoninvesting.com, a great name. Go ahead, take action and learn more about passive income opportunities. And we'll see you next time on the Seven Figures Club podcast. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening. And if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.